I didn't do anything. I'm trying to do this. I want to do the sad trumpet song. I just think it's a good one to have as a backup. Oh! Okay, no, so which one is it? Okay, they don't have a sad trumpet now. <laughs> well, one of them's kind of sad trumpet. That's... I just think it's good to have in your arsenal in case someone says something you don't like. In case you need to razz somebody up. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the city. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Cine Skinny. The gang's all here. It's Peter, Ellie, Jamie, and fresh from being on a plane about three three hours ago. How long we? When did you get off the plane, Anna? Heat? Um. Okay, my computer's still on Canada time. <laughs> so, what time is it? Is it two thirty? It's okay, two Four hours ago. Okay. I landed four hours ago. Anna Heat landed four hours ago. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> Ellie, Jamie, how are you? Good. Not bad. Good. I, I, I yeah. slept last night. I was not. All right. I, was, I was not in North America last night. <laughs> I didn't sleep last night, but that's because my flat has two leaks and some mice, which oh, is kind of no. like being on a plane and it's very distracting <laughs> and distressing. Yeah, there were these two girls behind me that wouldn't shut the fuck up. <laughs> and so I didn't sleep at all. Where are the mice? In the walls. Oh. We, I mean, it's better because they used to be in the flat and now yeah. they're not anymore. They're in the walls. Because yeah, of the leak. Yeah. The leak. I'm not staying yeah. there. There must flat. be something <laughs> connected. The flat has a lot of holes, okay? Sometimes water comes through, sometimes mice come through. Uh, it is wild that we all just live like this. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to this film podcast. Things are going well, as you can hear. Most of today is going to be taken up with a preview of the Glasgow Film Festival. So we've gone and watched a bunch of films and we're going to talk about them shortly. Uh, but before we do that, I think we decided before we do that, we're going to talk very briefly about the Oscars, the Academy Awards, etc., etc., as a little bit of uh, dessert. But first, before you get into all the regular whatever food of the, what am I talking about? I, I slept perfectly fine last <laughs> yeah, night. I have not been on any kind of transcontinental journey, and as far as I know, there's no animals living in my house. So <laughs> also, how do? You, why would you have with the dessert first? For a treat. Palate cleanser. Well, cut all this, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's like a sorbet. <laughs> Cleanse the palate, get straight into the, we've had the, the chat about mice. Palate cleanse with Oscar. Was that the straight, appetizer? Straight into the, yeah, after, that was the, a bush bush. And straight into the, the, the meaty chat. Well, the meaty chat will fall. <laughs> the Oscars because they announced all the nominations a while ago we didn't talk about them because we had other things to talk about and then I think when are the Oscars Jamie? That's, very That's good a good question to start to with. Start to, thing to research. Uh, they're not for a while. Uh, they're like March uh, 10th yeah, so, according to so Oscars.org. That's why I thought it'd be quite good to talk about it because I feel like I feel like when you watch it we, footnote citation <laughs> like, it says here according to Oscars.org. That's what I mean so there's like a month to go like I feel like if we talk about it too close it's all like it's kind of boring because like everybody knows what's going to happen but I think there's still a few unanswered questions okay uh jimmy would you like to elucidate one or more of those unanswered <laughs> questions in order to get this conversation off to a flying stuff well i was just going to start by i actually think it's quite a good lineup of films like there's only a couple that i don't love which would be maestro and barbie but otherwise i think that's a pretty good best picture list now i have a question for you jimmy i've not seen maestro and i don't want to see it and i don't want to want to see it so can you tell me very briefly why it's not good. <laughs> it's a, it's a film where Bradley Cooper really, 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 really wants to win an Oscar. Mm. 
So he's made this film and it's so cynical. It's all about how great his performance is essentially and how virtuosic he is as a director. It does have good things. I think the acting is pretty good in the film. You know, like Kerry Mulligan, who's up for Best Actress, is is really fantastic. But it's like a, a weird film because like it's about uh, Lenny Bernstein. It's, it's kind of like sanitised his life a little bit. It's like it's taken off all the kind of rough edges. It's, it's more interesting than your average biopic, I'll give it that. But I, I think to me, it's, there's a lot of kind of like preening in it and a lot of Bradley Cooper giving him like really fancy technical stuff to do as an actor to show off essentially um but it, it didn't really move me in the way um i'd hope a kind of film like this should so i think the issue. thing with bradley cooper is he makes really really great films that last 27 minutes and then the rest of the film is not good the beginnings of his films are always so good like i thought that was the same with what the fuck is it called a star is born where like the beginning bit when she comes out on stage and blah blah, blah and then it just like goes downhill and the same with maestro I think like the first half hour is kind of great and then it's like why are we here but also I always think his partner is always great as well like I think mm, like mm-hmm. the best thing about A Star Is Born is Lady Gaga yeah 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 but like all his stuff like I could take or leave it you know yeah, like like a uh, but again it's you know it's part of being an actor director like sometimes it's, it's about like you know showcasing yourself and how great you are but sometimes maybe you should cast someone else maybe I don't know mm-hmm. um, so that's a film that we don't want to win no that's covered that off all sorted uh who's got a film they would like to say they would like to see win the oscar for the best film which in many ways is the main oscar it's the same size as the other ones but is it more important who's to say anahi what would you like to see win best picture out of like the list that there is out of out of the shortlisted films um i would say zone of interest is probably the best one yeah right Mm -hmm. but it sounds like there's something on there there's something that's not on there that you would have liked to win (laughs) well actually not necessarily okay that was a blind alley (laughs) 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 oh actually well yeah i would have put all of us strangers also on there and i think for me those two films are pretty equal i do think zone of interest is i think it's more interesting to win an oscar if that makes sense because it's such a weird and fucked up film and i think when oscars do like big issues normally they do big issues in quite like a easy and palatable way so really like the biopic is like oscar fodder because it gives you like a nice easy narrative to talk about like really horrible horrible things yeah. whereas, or schindler's list which yeah. is like mm-hmm. follows like the nice guy the, yeah the, and like, it's so like spielbergy and yeah yeah exactly whereas zone of interest is like fucked up like it really makes you upset so even though I love all of us strangers and I think it should be a lot more represented in the nominations, I still think probably Zone of Interest is, it also feels just very representative of this year, if that makes sense. Kind of politically, uh, the zeitgeist, the global fuckery, <laughs> like it really f- feels like a f- film of 2023, like looking back, like that sense of just apocalypse makes a lot of sense. But I think at the moment, the front runner is probably Oppenheimer, we're thinking, which kind of is a bit more of a like, yeah, Oscar-Z is like this really big, horrible thing, but told in like a slightly more stylish and goes down easy way. But maybe not. Maybe it'll be a surprise. I think that's the bookie's favourite, certainly. But I do think the zone of interest is gaining a bit of traction. I feel Mm. like that's what some of the pundits are saying. And I'm just I'm just amazed it's in there. Like a film like Zone of Interest never gets nominated for the Oscars. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. I think it's just cool it's got nominated. And I think I mean I think it's probably after Oppenheimer, Poor Things is maybe one of the favourites because it's it's got mm. the most nominations. But Zone of Interest, I would not if I were, if I was like a betting man and I was going to take a little flutter, that would be I think a good outside bet because that's the one people are talking about. 
And that's I mean that that's why I think it's good to talk about now because like actually it is all to play for you know like and it's like it's kind of quite exciting at this moment weirdly on the night of the Oscars it's really boring because everybody who is predicted to win wins but right now the imagined Oscars that could happen is actually quite fun yeah. to like imagine yeah I suppose by the time that the actual Oscars come around everyone has already leaked who they voted for so that's why it's easier to do the predictions. Well, it's because you have all the like directors guild and producers guild. Those are the those are the people who vote for the Oscars. So mm-hmm. pretty much, if they vote, if all the directors vote for um, Christopher Nolan to be best director, it's more likely that they'll do it again for the Oscars. Yeah. So, so. Um, Ellie, I believe you wanted to talk briefly about animated films, I films always, which yeah. often get overlooked I on account of them little, being like, drawings and not pictures. I not always people. do a little bit of animated corner, but this is fun for the Oscars because the second year in a row, uh, Walt Disney Animation fucked it. Uh, <laughs> so last year they had Strange World, which was like fine but forgettable, and this year they have Wish, which I didn't go see. Some of my more like technical-minded animator friends went to go see and just said it's like completely hollow and like meaningless as a film. It's just really dull and empty. But um, in an unusual example of like Oscar Oscar justice, uh, Nimona, which was originally being produced by 21st Century Fox's Blue Sky, which then got closed down when Disney acquired it, earned Netflix their Oscar nomination. So at least the Academy on some level seems to agree that like the mouse has fumbled what was a good film. And over a decade ago, it was Disney that closed their 2D animation studio and swore off any future hand-drawn projects. And The Boy and the Heron is not only animated for uh, not only nominated for Best Animated Feature, but also it's really, really popular. Like, people really, really are engaging with it. Um, so it would be great for either of these films to win. I think there's every chance that they will, but I think it's probably going to go to Across the Spider-Verse. Like, that's the most impressive looking. Like, I maintain my stance that the film's story is a little bit weakened by the fact that it's just sort of, like, teeing up for a, a third film. Like, from a technical standpoint, they're doing the most stuff. They've animated, like, 12 different movies, and they're having all those 12 movies fly around and chat to each other. So I think that's probably putting it well deserved into the best animated feature the classic x to the z exhibit trick of your dog we heard you like animated films so we put an animated film inside your animated film so you can watch (laughs) it while you watch it but don't also take into account like the oscar voters are very sentimental bunch and this is miyazaki's last film um i know i think he has won an oscar before but i Mm -hmm. think you know they love to get they love to give like people in the last kind of end of the career an award and the fact it's just doing so well like i think there's quite a good chance that that could Mm. be an upset as well yeah it definitely has like the backing of audiences sort of very like nerdy audiences but also very casual audiences are enjoying it so it really depends on like what you're looking at it from like for example nimona i think has quite a cool jazzy animation style and it's a very sweet queer story but i just don't think that it's going to win best picture because i don't know like it's way less like visually complex than both Spider-Verse and Boy and the Heron and uh, Elemental which is Pixar's one was really really forgettable in virtually every aspect so but it's just a it's just a nice little bit of like anti-international megacorp film production company that you know well i mean i suppose it's sony and netflix are still i was gonna say but- uh, shouts out to the small <laughs> up-and-coming independent film studio sony pictures international once but, again but any any, uh, any loss for disney is a win for us that is very true it is always funny to watch them eat it yeah. so there we go so that was a brief foray into the oscars which as discussed are on the 10th of march so look out for those. If you know any Oscar voters, please do influence them in the direction <laughs> indicated by this podcast. Is there anything you really want to, actually, I was going to say, is there anything you really want to win at those girls? I really hope May December wins best screenplay. Mm. It, that film should have been nominated more. It was really great. It's my favourite film of last year. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, actually, I was trying to think, like, why is this Best Actor in a Supporting Role nomination so flat? And it's because Charles Melton is in it. Mm -hmm. He should have been in it. I think that uh, Poor Things deserves makeup and hairstyling. Mm-hmm. I think that's up. Like again, I've not seen Maestro. Is there much makeup and hairstyling? Oh, it's all makeup. It's, it's all like, on Bradley Cooper. Though. It's, all it's like remotely <laughs> equitable. Bradley to- Cooper like min maxed the makeup budget on um, <laughs> on Maestro and just put all of his points into Bradley Cooper. But what to the extent that Willem Dafoe has like a Frankenstein face and poor things? You haven't seen Maestro either. <laughs> I haven't have you? seen Maestro. <laughs> Okay, it's time to talk about the Glasgow Film Festival, which returns on the 28th of February, I believe, and then runs into mid-March. So, we're going to talk about four films from the programme shortly, but first of all, GFF Vibe Check. Jamie, as our resident vibes expert, the vibes ambassador, (laughs) Kelly Le Vibes de Le Festival de Film Glasgow. Uh, Oui? Uh, <laughs> um, a plus vibes are pretty good. It's the, well, it's, it's quite exciting because it's the twentieth edition, so they've they've pulled out all the stops in some respects. So they've got a really amazing opening film. I think Love Lies Bleeding looks amazing. It's a uh, rose glasses queer neo noir thriller with Kristen Stewart. I think that's going to kick it off really well. Um, I like the look of the retrospectives this year. It looks really fun. And uh, yeah, they've got like more kind of event style cinema back. They've also got this kind of uh, after hours strand, which is like more kind of like stuff outside the cinema. So they've got like karaoke and discos. And so it's, it seems like after we've had a couple of low key festivals post pandemic, this is like it back to full strength with parties and sort of shindigs. And, uh, you know, hopefully lots of guests. They haven't announced the guests yet, but I'm hoping like um, some, some cool people are going to up. I mean, Aragon's going to be here. You know, <laughs> what, what do you need? Yeah. Like, you know, big moment. Big big Vigo is going to be kicking around, so that's going to be cool. Um, so yeah, vibe checks are good. Um, and then the program, I mean, it's a whole mix, isn't it? It's like uh, it's got you've got the big names in there. You've got like uh, you know, the kind of art house favorites like uh, Alice uh, Warshaker, um, Yuri Bill Salon, the kind of Turkish filmmaker, uh, the new Eva Duvernay films in there, Quentin Dupieux. You know, sort of big, quite big names in art house cinema but then I guess GFT also concentrates on kind of more kind of up and coming talent so that's kind of where you're going to find the gems so I think the fun thing is like every year there's like a, f- a couple of films that totally break out so like last year for example um, How to Blow Up a Pipeline I think was one of the big kind of talking films so like I like to go along and find out what the big film is that kind of breaks out and the audiences are really excited for so I'm sure it's going to be a kind of smaller film maybe one we're going to talk about well that's a, hand- a very handy Passover to what we're going to talk about which is some smaller films from the program. Uh, so Jamie, you just spoke for a bit, so I won't come straight back okay. to you. I'm also going to cut this bit, so it's not weird that I'm just being like, Jamie, it's time for you to take a little break. Uh, <laughs> Wait, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll see you what. <laughs> first film we're going to talk about, I think we'll talk about the Vorderlec first. We'll get straight in with the French vampires. In the 1800s, a French aristocrat in Eastern Europe takes refuge with a family whose patriarch has disappeared off into the woods. If he doesn't come back within six days, as the story goes, he will return as the Vordelac, the Vampire, etc. etc. It's French. It's based on Tolstoy. It's shot on 16mm, directed by Adrien Beau, who used to design for Dior and Galliano. Looks very interesting. Ellie, is it very interesting? 
Uh, yeah, it is very interesting. I uh, just sort of was like having a look, wanting to see what sort of horror GFF had on this year. There's stuff like uh, stuff called like the Deep Dark and Wake Up, and these look like a lot more like conventional horrors. Which isn't to say that you should check them out. Um, like a lot of it seems cool, but the Vordalac was interesting to me because it presents itself as this like authentic '60s '70s horror film, right? It's like shot in 16 millimeters, very I don't know vaporwave like the look that we saw in Ennis Main last year. So it's horror for horror nerds. And uh, other than it's very like retro art style, it's got like exemplary costuming. Um, Casey Motek Klein from Happening, uh, was that last year, the year before Happening? Uh, he's playing this marquee on a diplomatic journey from the French court. He has like the French Baroque, uh, you know, look with the ruffles and the heels and the beauty mark, but like this very ghastly ghost white face paint um, that like stains as the film goes on and it makes him look like a final girl. It's uh, pretty fun. But you get wondering, like, you know, this is a really. Uh, intro, like cool world with lots of like fun costumes but is it like a good horror film because not only is it a vampire film which is really well trodden ground but it's an adaptation of one of the earliest vampire novels so you do really get you know where things are going really early on but guys the vampire is a fucking puppet <laughs> it, it looks like an evil Kermit the Frog it's <laughs> incredible it's a it's a great puppet it has a it's like a full body character there's these wide shots that show it standing and walking alongside real actors it's beautifully voiced it's got this really like sinister very flamboyant personality and it's like a it's this one practical effect that shows up quite early and they just love to keep showing you it from every possible angle so it's like you know is it scary no. The story itself is like overpoweringly tragic. Uh, we talked about the different social allegories that uh, vampires represent in our Renfield episode. And uh, here, vampire vampirism represents the sort of like the self-destruction of the whole paterfamilias traditional family unit where the children of the vampires are themselves individuals and like they you know, certainly offer lots of different takes on gender and masculinity, but then they all get converted into the same sort of like mindless thrall, the same mirror image of their father. So there's no like really gripping scares, but in keeping with the film's fetish for practical effects, there are loads of fun gross out scenes. Like there's like raw rabbits having its giblet, giblets removed and, you know, the guest gets fed gruel. And, uh, you know, there's many scenes where the marquee is out in the woods and it's not like, you know, a typical sort of ghostly whisper or a, a distant shriek that he hears, but it's just sort of this strange squelching sound, which uh, I have no idea what it's meant to be. In the words of a Cardi B, macaroni in a pot, perhaps. <laughs> Is it the Swedish chef? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I was trying to think of a good joke. I keep hearing these weird noises <laughs> coming from the woods, like, <laughs> I was trying to think of like a The Count joke, because that is a puppet that is a vampire, but it's not as funny as Kermit. Evil Kermit is way funnier. Have you seen that one video of The Count where it beeps out? Yes. When he says counter, it sounds like he's yes. saying, I like to fuck. It's by Lemon Demon. He's like, I like to beep <laughs> the cobwebs on the walls. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Which, I mean, again, this is the sort of film that has like a really gripping atmosphere, but it is a fucking puppet. And they like <laughs> do seem to really enjoy just like, I don't know, working in this really like fun visible gross space it's a story that we know well what is it they always say about horror which is that like horror is this anticipation the build up to the thing that scares you and there's not a huge amount of build up because we just know the story so well you know exactly where it's gonna go but then 
once they've got that vampire in pretty early, like he just sort of dances around the screen for the rest of the film and it's very enjoyable. Horror is when you can't see the puppet that's making your macaroni. <laughs> Terror is when you finally see the puppet that's making your <laughs> And satire is when the macaroni starts making puppets. Um, who else watched this one, Vordelac? Was it you? Yeah, yeah, I watched this one. I picked it purely because it was 90 minutes long um, <laughs> and I had to watch it in various airports. Um, to begin with, I was like a little bored by it. It's like a little slow, a little, like it is beautiful from the off and it has this very like almost Barry Lyndon-y aesthetic. It's like very cool. Like you have this like, what the fuck is that? Like the harpsichord, like that plinky plonky thing oh, that yeah. they have mm-hmm. in like Marie Antoinette. Um, and so the vibes are great, but he's like yeah this aristocrat has come and he's like he's talking to this woman and I was like jeez what is going on there's like this very long scene but then the fucking puppet shows up and I was so on board it's really like like Ray Harryhausen vibes it's so cool you just don't get they don't make films like that anymore it was like really exciting I think that kind of also the idea of this vampire sorry like the whole idea of the Vaudelac right is that it's a vampire that exclusively preys on like relatives and like loved ones and stuff. And so that adds like this extra little like fucked up dimension. There's this very, very weird sex scene uh, that I did watch in the office <laughs> next to the new intern about an hour ago. <laughs> I was just like, why are they having sex so slowly? <laughs> why won't this speed up? Uh, but yeah, I really, I the more I watched it, the more on board I was. And I really do think for me, the puppet was the turning point because mm-hmm. it is just so, like anyway, you have this like very 16 mil, very kind of like, kind of DIY aesthetic. Um, and it just, it goes in this sort of traditional vampire story, but in this way that is very like, not quite camp. Cause it's like a little, it takes up a little bit too seriously for that, but it's also just like kind of ridiculous. And it just feels very like sincere. You know, but also really fucking stupid. I had a great time. I yeah. really liked I'm it. I'm finding it so hard. To, I haven't seen this one. I'm finding it so hard to judge what the tone is because I'm getting Muppets on one side, <laughs> Harryhausen on the other, but also. Do you want to see the puppet? Hang on. Yeah, I do actually. The, I think that the cast have really like taken a look at Michael Caine as Scrooge and realised that the best way to do it is just play it completely straight against the puppet. Yeah. Yeah, they've realised that this is the season for being jolly and jolly. <laughs> Uh, so that's the Vordelac. Uh, Anahe is just about found a picture of the Vordelac. I can't find this the is... puppet. Okay, well, like, you'll have to go to GFF. It. You will. Uh, you oh, will... there we go. That's kind of part of it. Ooh. See, this is great audio. <laughs> yeah, you will... that, that is it's the anticipation. They've got the horror. It it's yeah. the build up to the thing they're going to see when they finally go and see the Vordelac. Yeah, I was expecting felt, like... but that's that's like no, bone it's and like, Yeah, it's like bone and gristle, but then it's kind of like moving in this almost stop motion-y way, because you have like this full body shot of it. Like it was really fucking cool. I was really, I, I love a puppet. You guys know I love a puppet. So I is was it, very- Is it as great as that special effect in the Muppet uh, movie where Kermit Miss Piggy are, are cycling? There is, <laughs> no, because there is a wide shot where you see him walking up to yeah. other like act, and you're like, how the fuck are they keeping that thing walking by itself? Yeah. And it's clearly like, you know, movie magic, but the kind of movie magic that you don't see in I assume big there was someone there. in it. Like, That's possible, yeah. Because yeah. he's sort of like covered in robes, but it doesn't, mm. like, it's just it's really clever they've like had a lot of fun working out how to kind of depict this moving vampiric puppet thing and because it's so uncanny and and weird against this like 16 mil 60s horror film like i don't know it just looks like a it's it's a film with its own like real vibe 
Yeah, I would really like surprise. I really picked this because it was short, <laughs> but I would really recommend like watching it. it. Like it's just so fucking cool. I I would have loved to see it on a big screen. I mean, I'm sold. Yeah, yeah, that's a quote for the poster, if nothing else. I picked this <laughs> film because it was short, but you know what? It was good. Uh, so that is if you, if any of that has swayed you, the Vorderlack is on on the third of March, the Sunday, third of March at eight forty-five, and then on Monday the fourth at half past three, both at the Cineworld on Renfrew Street. From a film that takes a while to get going when they bring out the puppet to a film that starts quite quickly and continues to go quite quickly for the majority of its, again, quite short runtime, me and Jamie are going to talk about Jericho Ridge. Yes. So, a remote sheriff's office somewhere in America uh, is targeted by some truly bad lads with guns and there's only one deputy on a broken ankle there to protect it. That would be bad enough that she has kind of brought her teenage son sort of half to work with her and he is cutting about causing all manner of business. So, uh, Nikki Amuka Bird plays Tabby Temple, the aforementioned deputy with a broken ankle, uh, Zach Morris off of EastEnders, Michael Soka off of This Is England, and Simon Kuntz, special shout out to him, off of The Thick of It, Brass Eye, Golden Eye, and The Parent Trap. There's a resume for you. Um, in this, Jamie, a uh, British police heist thriller shot in Kosovo and set in America. Yes. 84 minutes of fun. And you know what? Apart from recognising all the faces off of British TV, like, oh, that's the guy from Line of Duty, that's the guy from EastEnders, that's the guy from, like, uh, Being Human. Apart from, like, recognising them, I would have been quite happily believed this was an American film. It's actually quite a good facsimile of this kind of, like, low-budget American movie. I mean, basically, it's kind of, like, in the vein of something like Assault on Precinct 13. It's like a siege thriller where we're basically in one room um, or one sort of couple of rooms at one station um, and I thought it was it was uh, pretty effective why it caught my eye um, to, to watch was it's, it's directed by uh, Will Gib- uh, Gilby um, who wrote a pretty good Scottish survivalist horror a few years ago called A Lonely Place to Die this is his debut um, this like that film is pretty gnarly pretty um, fat free um, very simple in its plot but because any film that's kind of stripped back to the bone it has to have like good actors and good direction and I think the actors and the direction is pretty good here I think um, Nippy, uh, Nikki Amuk Bird um, is really good as Tabby she's this kind of like well I would say she's a badass but actually she's completely out of depth and actually maybe quite a bad cop she makes some really bad choices uh, throughout the film but um, and she's just surviving by the skin of her teeth so I, I like a film where actually the person it's, it's kind of why John Wick works I think because John Wick is always surviving through skill but also luck and like he he's he's pretty much getting beat up constantly that's essentially what happens to nick uh, to tabby um throughout the film um i thought the direction was really kind of crisp and the action set pieces kind of really lucid and exciting and um, which which is pretty good for this kind of low budget you know it's, it's got really good spatial geometry it's all coherent you know which is quite rare in an action film i think i could draw a pretty good like you know isometric sketch of this sheriff that's that engineering background yeah, yeah. Again. <laughs> yeah i mean it's like it's a, it, you get a good idea of the layout and like it's it's yeah. all about like can she protect the front door and the back door and what happens if one door's taken off its hinges and what happens if another door um has a hole in it you know can she keep the place locked down yeah so it's, a, it's a film that's based in like one kind of like bungalow but it understands the fact that it's based it's set in one bungalow so it knows that where the where each thing is is important to the story and things do get put down and then picked back up later. A drawer is opened, something is reviewed. Classic Chekhov's gun shit. Door, a, a door or drawer is opened, something or someone is behind it, 
and then it's closed. You go back to it later, you get the thing, you do the thing. Exactly. So yes, and I thought the spatial geography, yeah, it does actually all cohere together. There's a lot of running back and forth. Uh, due to the fact that it has a front door and a back door. But um, yeah, I think as well, like as a connoisseur, I like to think myself as a bit of, co- of a connoisseur of these kind of films, you know, kind of like mid-budget uh, or low-budget kind of like very stripped down action movies. This is a really good example of this kind of film. Very kind of tense, very crunchy. Yeah, like I said, very well choreographed action. Um, it makes sense. It knows what its limitations are. I think that sometimes, I think all the characters are pretty believable, but sometimes the characterization isn't quite there. There's like one or two people who you're kind of like, this guy's just bad. It's generally speaking that the goodies are good and the baddies are bad. And the baddies are trying to get the goodies, but the goodies don't want to get got by the baddies. That is basically the level that we're operating on. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, I think it it can get a bit caught up in itself when it tries to be, it tries to dig into the drama. You know, the the mother-son relationship is the heart of it. And I think if you kept that kind of like minimalist, it would have worked. But I think they to try a couple of times to like flesh that out, and it kind of just it kind of just kind of stops the drama. Really, like what why you want to see this film is because it's a really good action movie. You know, you don't come to it for its fantastic monologues. Is you're here because you know that set piece was gnarly. You know, there's a great gunfight. There's a great knife fight. There's like uh, some good twists and turns. Um, so that's that's why I, you should come and see it. I mean, the CGI isn't always convincing but I think you can forgive that um, for such a low budget Um, and like I say I think for a British filmmaker to make this in Kosovo and make it so convincingly American works you know and it's you know it's it's a film with cops which is always a bit um, problematic but very likeable lead character is you know is is it could be any occupation is any kind of siege movie really um, which I I kind of see it so yeah, and it has, um, as with all these films, there is a point to why the baddies are doing baddie things. But I would advise you, don't think too much about it. <laughs> don't think too much about it because you're not, you're going to be pulling at a thread that simply isn't connected to anything. Yeah, one thing that this film has going for it is like a truly, we have to get out of this shopping centre before the parking runs out pace to it. Like once it gets going, it's absolutely flying. And that is why the thing of having an extended conversation about your family dynamics towards the end of the film kind of takes a bit of the air out of it. But if you're watching this, it's on a Saturday night at the GFT with a pint and some pals. By that stage, you'll be like, ah, you'll already be at a high emotional pitch and you wouldn't mind a little break to think, hmm, families, they're interesting. Hang on, there's still someone outside with a gun. And I know for a fact there's only 50 minutes of this film left. Ooh, exciting. It's one of those kind of films. So, Jericho Ridge, like I say, Saturday the 9th of March at 8.35 at the GFT. And then the following day, quarter past one, hungover action film, if anyone fancies it, at Cineworld. So yeah, that's Jericho Ridge. I tell you, we're flying through these. Yeah because the next one up is Solo. Uh, So Simon has a successful day job as a makeup artist while his drag queen alter ego is on the rise in the vibrant queer scene in Montreal, Canada, a place that Anahit knows very well. Uh, Simon (laughs) like I'm Jamie being like, I went to New York. (laughs) I'm actually trying to change my time though from Canadian time. Canada. Um, So Simon embarks on an intense relationship with fellow drag star Olivier. It seems to be this kind of passionate thing that he's looking for, but then things begin to change when his estranged mother, Claire, unexpectedly shows up on the scene. Uh, Anahit, you're still trying to change this time settings on your computer. <laughs> Jamie, solo, tell me all about it before we come well, to our Canadian correspondent. I, 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 I can do it. 
it's okay. Like <laughs> oh wait, days and time. I found it. All right. Um, where are we? At the Could this wait? Can't. Okay. Sorry. No. <laughs> yes. Um, what did you just say? I said nothing yet. Okay. All right. Great. <laughs> I think what Jamie said was, "Don't look at me." <laughs> and then he also said, "Can this not wait?" About you changing your time no, on your but laptop. Now it says it's three p.m. and I feel more centered. I feel more present in the room. <laughs> ironically. Um, yeah, so you kind of said, you were describing it, I think, in a similar way that the description that I read on the GFF website describes it, where it's like this simultaneous... You'll never guess why that is. <laughs> where it's like a simultaneous, this guy enters his life at the same time as his mother enters his life. And that makes it sound like, I think, a little bit more complex than it really is. For me, those felt like quite disparate threads. And the mother thing is never really, for me, entirely kind of followed through or comes to life. And I think it is like a, not like a problem with this film, but it is a limitation on this film, say, because when I was watching it, I thought it was really vibey. I thought all the performances were really great. Yeah, it's set in like this, the Montreal drag scene and all of the shots of like the drag shows and stuff are really cool. Um, All of like the behind the scenes, there's just like so much glitter and sequins and like really good like lip syncing songs. And it just feels very like, kind of sexy and fun but the story just felt so like like pedestrian like I felt like I'd seen it so many times before and this entanglement that it promises between this new relationship and then this relationship with his mother essentially it comes down to he has this relationship with this other drag queen guy who is just like quite transparently a dickhead to him in a way that then wasn't very interesting because he was just so obviously like essentially emotionally abusive I think in ways that were not subtle at all and just felt a bit like, and that is sometimes just how it plays out. But as a viewing experience, it just felt like, why is why are you putting up with this? And then you have this kind of tangent, not tangential, what is it called? Like parallel storyline with the mother. And it all comes down to, you know, his mother didn't love him. So now he's like accepting love. Like we accept the love that we think we deserve. What is that from? Perks of being a wallflower. Yeah, it was very that, like, do you know what I mean? That is like the <laughs> philosophical level at which it is operating. Um, so like I had a nice time. It is very vibey. The performances are really great. It feels a little bit like Poundland Xavier Delon, like a little bit, which like, you know, is not a bad thing. I was surprised at how much, cause I think it won best Canadian film at TIFF. Oh, did it? Yeah, like I think it did really, really well at TIFF and I don't know what other Canadian films showed at TIFF. So maybe it was the best one, but <laughs> <laughs> so I really don't know. But I just was a bit like, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's worth watching, but it just didn't do, the storyline was a bit simplistic and the way that it was filmed. I think what makes Xavier Delon really interesting is he is just like fucking balls to the wall. Like the way that he uses aspect ratio, he is the most extra filmmaker in the world. And this was just quite like normal, low level. Yeah. I don't know, it's hard to describe because it was just like a little bit mid, but also nice. I agree with that. Like, I get the impression that Sophie Duplou, uh, Duplou, Duplou, um the director, writer, um, really wanted to make a film about the Montreal drag scene. I think that probably came first. Mm. And then all the stuff around it was just her trying to like mould a story. Mm. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it seems like... So, so, the, so the stuff about the drag is... Uh, the, the drag scene is really good. I think I like how it shows performances and it shows you like extended performances. 
Um, it shows you all the rehearsals, like all the planning, the costume design, the backstage stuff, the kind of family of drag queens who who like bicker backstage and like go out drinking and partying. I love all that stuff. That's all great. But then the actual main story, yeah, you're right. It was like so underwritten, so underpowered. It, it was it essentially comes down to he's got some mummy issues and his current boyfriend's a dickhead. And like, and it's, it's, and, I th it's and you'd think describing that, oh, he's going to be evil. He's going to be like he's just toxic he's just like not a nice guy all it takes is him to just leave and go somewhere else but he doesn't and and it's like never and it's never explained why it's not quite good on the psychology of why he hangs around i don't think saying that his mum also is not very nice to him is a good enough reason because he's got a lovely sister and a lovely father mm. and it's like it's, it's never quite explained why he feels the need to why why he's, he's so down on himself why he's got such bad emotional intelligence why he's got so so little self-esteem because in other aspects of his life he seems completely happy and it's only this bad relationship that's, that's bringing him down so all, all it took with him to leave and then he left and it was fine so it's, it's, it's a film with like very little kind of dramatic stakes um in a way um, but saying that the vibes are great I, th I think uh, I agree if you want to see a film uh, uh, like about the Montreal drag scene it gives you that it's like really fun and uh, like looks great lots of like really handsome guys mm -hmm. dressed as women essentially I, doing great performances I, I also saw this film and I do kind of agree I think that it leaves you at a one of those strange places when it's very obvious that the film wants you to feel a specific emotion and that sort of is sympathy for this character but you are taken out of it somewhat by the fact that, yeah, the 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 mistreatment that he faces is so like barefaced that I think everybody watching in the theater would probably be like, I wouldn't put up with that because mm. this guy is so obviously just evil, right? And and I think that's the it is difficult. He's not even evil. He's just kind of catty. He's like he's just kind of like manipulative he, well, it's, for shits and giggles. It's not like he's trying to like. I thought it was going to be like a, a all about Eve situation where he wants to, he's jealous of his talent, but he's actually quite a talented. Yeah, like something that I noticed was that like in a lot of these sorts of films nowadays, they show like emotionally abusive partners being emotionally abusive through this new thing called gaslighting, mm. which is that when someone accuses you of being emotionally abusive, you 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 then turn the tables on them and make yourself out to be a victim to have been wrongly accused of something. That doesn't happen in this film. The guy will just do something emotionally abusive and then our protagonist will be like, no, that makes me upset and you're being horrible. And then the guy's like, no, I'm not. And then it cuts to a scene of them having sex. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so like there are many scenes that really feel like they do not follow through on the dialogue that is emerging where they actually get to like, why is this relationship like this? And with this, uh, I think his name is Ollie is his uh, partner. Like, yeah, like he never gets any explanation as to like why he behaves this way or like what he's even getting out of it. He just, and it, it gets to that point where it's like, it is horrible because there are real life relationships where people, you know, get entangled with people that they don't deserve. And then that can bleed into all sorts of things. Cause that's something that I did like about the film is that like, it actually shows his drag sort of gets worse directly because of this uh, relationship that he has. But at the same time, like when he lashes out at the people who actually are good to him, it's like characters and human beings are responsible for their own actions in a lot of ways. And it's like it, it, the, the sympathy does sort of peel off as you go and you're left kind of not really there with the character. I will say like, without giving away the ending, like it doesn't end in a completely horrible way. It ends in like quite a transformative way, except that transformative way it ends is like a five minute scene and it's mm. quite a long film of just this guy's life sort of falling apart up until then 
Um, but I agree that like I did enjoy the drag itself and like it, it's so beautifully shot and the, the the clubs that we see, the spaces are so wonderful. Um, they're, they're like perfectly sort of designed to accommodate this really <laughs> eclectic cast of different drag queens. Um, <laughs> Peter's dying. Sorry, well, I'll have to excuse me. I'm dying. <laughs> I, I was going to say one thing. I actually, did, I, I, oh, Jamie does not care. Peter's <laughs> dying. <laughs> podcast got on here. You okay, Peter? Get some water. Carry on. <laughs> I was going to say one thing. I appreciate about the film is it's a film about a gay character where actually his troubles are nothing to do with being gay. The film doesn't mm. have any tension around homophobia or the fact that he's in the drag scene. He doesn't really have any issues because of that. His issues are just essentially he's he's he seems to be a doormat. And that could have been like a heterosexual couple. So like, so that was kind of refreshing to see a a, a film where, where a gay protagonist, where his chief problems aren't the fact that he's gay or in, a, in the drag scene, uh, it's you know it comes down to like mummy issues, you know, yeah. or, or or like you know not choosing, <laughs> not choosing the right partner, which you could say a lot about a lot of people. So that was that I think was a quite an interesting choice. The bits where like his family are watching him and they're just like really supportive and there's like no questions asked, they're just in the crowd. And they're supportive. It was really lovely, actually. Yeah. And I agree. A lot of films, I think, maybe would have gone a bit more of a, like, oh, the dad especially is, like, really uncomfortable with it. And he just doesn't give a fuck. He's like, yeah, good for you. Yeah, the dad's really nice. One thing I was saying while I watched it, there's a big sort of climactic scene where he goes to see his mum at the end. I'm saying, why don't you just go and see your dad? Your dad is really nice. Yeah. Like, why are you hanging out with your mum who's, like, just, like, selfish? Like, I, I don't know. It's just, like, I just sometimes, it's just a character you want to give a shake and that mm. would fix it. I think that, like, Theodore Pellerin, who plays the uh, main character, is, like, fantastic and, like, brings out this really, like, lively, sweet side to him and that's where the sympathy, when it does come, comes from. But you just saying that now has reminded me there's a, a, a an incredibly brief scene that explains he does have a day job as, like, a makeup artist for a photographer, which they never really return to or never becomes relevant um which is so funny to think that well are you okay peter (laughs) is it just every time i start talking (laughs) carry on (laughs) but we need a cough button on the it's just uh (laughs) now it's hang on hang on hang on cough again (laughs) (laughs) at least start talking and then he'll cough okay Okay, I'll start talking then. It's uh, really funny to think of him having this day job where he's just going through this horrible, life-changing, dramatic arc, and at the same time he has to like clock in every morning at nine in the morning, and we just never see that. And I didn't cough again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being mocked in my hour of need. And here's the scope of the sound effects panel. Um, the podcast has changed forever. Yeah. It's like uh, I'm the Stamp Town guy. <laughs> We're exactly the same. Solo okay. is on, on the 3rd of March, Sunday at 6 p.m. at the Glasgow Film Theatre. And it's also on on Monday the 4th at 3.45 p.m. at Cineworld as part of the Glasgow Film Festival. I'm going to hopefully not cough again before we do the next bit, so it's fine. Did do a weird little bark. I will cut that. You leave that in. <laughs> How is there an entire other film to do? <laughs> right, we're nearly there. The delirium has kicked in. Anna heats coconut Red Bull is <laughs> coursing through her veins. Just in time for a proper fun one. This is proper like dessert at the end of the meal stuff. This is The Invisible Fight. Uh, a Soviet border patrol in the 1970s is attacked by a trio of lads with big moustaches, leather jackets and some very impressive kung fu skills. 
The sole survivor of the attack is Raphael, an Estonian or possibly Finnish uh, Soviet officer, and he decides he wants to learn Kung Fu for himself. So he heads to the nearby Russian Orthodox monastery with his long hair and his Black Sabbath tapes to learn, as he puts it, black metal Kung Fu. Ellie, me and you watch this. It's fun, isn't it? It's, it's very fun. fun. This is one of those films where, like, there's someone in the post-production crew who has a very specific, highly technical, difficult to understand job, and they're very, very drunk. Like, it's very slapstick. It is a big fun party time. It, the thing about it, right, is it has the exact structure of a kind of 1970s kung fu film. You have your kind of loser outsider who wants to try and learn the skills from the you know, mystical leaders, but they won't teach him. So he has to get a mentor, go through various trials, convince the kind of elders of his worth and his uh, suitability for coaching and kicking people really, really hard. But it kind of transposes that martial arts archetype onto the very kind of like anti-religion Soviet society. So there's this whole thing of like, and I suppose you do get this in like martial arts films as well, especially the kind of like um, dynastic, like dynastic era Chinese martial arts films where it's like there is a suspicion of the lads in the monastery but it's just so much funnier to have them be lads in massive like black robes and enormous hats with big bushy beards uh, it's really funny really weird it looks amazing and it does actually have a good amount of people getting battered in it or having things thrown at them etc etc i think you were saying that it starts off very very strong and then you're kind of like, where do we go from here? Yeah, so within the first four minutes, you see someone deflecting bullets with a pair of nunchucks, which, <laughs> sick. But also, you're kind of like, you know, this is a lot of energy and the film goes on for two hours. Can we sustain this energy? I do think that the focus gets a little bit fried on the way. Like, when you start out, it's like, oh, they're Eastern Orthodox monks who do Kung Fu. That juxtaposition is quite comic. It's quite amusing they don't let it up like they continue to take kung fu and the irrefutable word of christ incredibly seriously for the next two hours and it does sort of become like my very kick-ass conversion to the eastern orthodox church <laughs> um but the fight scenes are really really fun and inventive i like the bit where he gets into a fight with like his new monk mentor who's like putting him in his place whose weapon of choice is like a pair of elastic bands that he's using to like redirect his punches and like tangle his wrists up in this like using only his opponent's momentum in this like very defensive way of fighting and i don't mean to be all that like you know that meme where it's like guy who's only seen kung fu panda watching her second martial arts film i'm getting a lot of kung fu panda vibes from this <laughs> but there is a point where they fling pierogies at each other in this very like kitchen training scene it, it, yeah, it has. It hits a lot of those beats. Reminds me a bit visually of like a kind of Kaurismaki film or something. The way that it has a lot of Soviet fashion and technology and stuff. The thing about it is it does go on a little bit and it is a little bit ponderous at times, but it is also really good fun. The lead guy, whose name I've completely forgotten, is like a really charismatic but dumb as a post kind of guy. Um, and, crucially, soundtrack. This is a fun one for watching it with pals. 
Uh, take a drink every time you hear The Wizard by Black Sabbath and you'll be absolutely paralytic within about half an hour. You've never heard so many needle drops of the same song in one film. It's incredible. To the point where I was getting annoyed at first and then I cycled right the way back through to the other side and I was like, I want to hear the, the same 20 seconds that they obviously paid to license of this song over and over again. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It, I mean, that, that, that's the case. It's maybe that like Black Sabbath is a very like high commodity in licensing songs and they got that one. But um, I do agree, like, like on the most serious note, I think one of the things that I love most about this film is that it, like, I've not seen many portrayals of the Soviet Union where it's, like, full of colour. Like, everyone's in these very vibrant, like, reds and oranges and these, like, funky flares and pattern shirts. And I guess it's to kind of, like, draw your focus to the outsider, this one guy in a black leather jacket who only listens to Black Sabbath and then goes to live with a bunch of monks in robes. Um, but it's like, you know, nobody's dour or smoking a cigarette in front of some, like, gigantic concrete building. Like, it shows the USSR as a place where, like, I don't know, people are just having a lot of fun getting on with their lives and, like, you know, having a good time. And you'll have a good time, too, if you go and see this film. It is a very kind of inventive, daft, intriguing, sweet film. It's a bit like a big puppy that is just running around in a leather jacket. It's <laughs> remind me a lot of, like, Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer and mm -hmm. films like that. So there, kind there's of, a bit yeah. where, like, they're taking... It's not even a fight scene where they're, like, taking a tour of the monastery and they do it fast-forwarded with all these goofy sound effects as they like trip over each other and try and take pictures of all the temples and it's like it's a little Nickelodeon but like <laughs> very like full on very realised very rich and uh, yeah a lot of fun watching so that is The Invisible Fight it is annoyingly on, on Wednesday the 6th at 6pm and Thursday the 7th at 3pm both at Cineworld so I mean you can't really have a kind of like night out with the lads uh, at six o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. More's, you more's, the, you can. more's the pity, but if you can, if you, if you can get the evening off, then go for it. Yeah. After, after out with the boys. Yeah. yeah. Go it's, it's good you get, because it's through in Glasgow, so you can get the train back at eight and you'll be, you know. Exactly. This this does only apply if you live in Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the kind of relatable advice we're giving. Or, or anywhere where there's a train that's around an hour away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so those are the main ones we wanted to highlight. We're also just going to pick out a few extra ones in case none of those have taken your fancy or in case you really want to fill your time at GFF with those films. Uh, Anahit, you've only put one on the list, but you put it in all caps, so I'll let you go first. Uh, La, La Chimera, which is the, I think Jamie mentioned it, Alice Rohrwacher one with Josh O'Connor um, that had the really fucking cool poster that was like a kind of tarot card of the hangman that was like really fucking cool. I just, I love that poster. Um, but yeah, it's been, it came out in Cannes last year and it just hasn't had a release date for ages and ages. And this is its first like UK showing. It's uh, it's described as like a grave robbing comedy. Yeah. Um, like a bit magic realist, yeah, which sounds amazing. Yeah, it's be like really like beautiful. I think um, Shunlin watched it and they were like, it's now my favorite film ever. Oh. Same thing. Like it's meant to be like so so good. So I'm really excited for that. And then, do you want me to say another one? Um, I mean, if you've just got that one, you seem pretty convinced by okay. that. Yeah, that one. <laughs> it was in all caps and everything. Yeah. Just go, go see it twice. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's, on, it's, on, it's on twice. Yeah. Uh, so it's on on the first of March at eight o'clock and on the second of March at twelve forty-five. And I believe this is one of the ones that they're doing like other screening, like screenings of it around the country at a time with GFF. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um. So look out for those at your local 
independent cinema, uh, provided that one isn't in Glasgow because that is kind of busy with a film festival, this one. Uh, Ellie, your selections from the remainder of the programme. Um, I don't know if it's ASOG or ASOG, but it's a road trip film about a non-binary teacher cycling across the Philippines in order to become a pageant drag star. And it shows uh, real-life survivors of Typhoon Yolanda who are playing fictionalised versions of themselves, telling their stories through these weird little folklore vignettes. Uh, One of its executive producers is Alan Cumming, and according to IMDb, yes, that Alan Cumming, Um, which, I mean... Yeah, this just sounds like a perfect film for me. It seems very... I mean, it seems at first glance like it's got quite heavy content, but also at the same time looks really, like, lovely and beautiful and sweet and light. Um, But on the other side of that coin, uh, something that's a lot more intense looking, but at the same time very gripping, very riveting, is We Have Never Been Modern, which is a Czech period drama set in this isolated community where the discovery of the body of an intersex infant causes some sort of like huge dramatic mystery for this expecting couple who are running the town yeah it just looks nuts and it apparently also has these animated segments which as i was saying earlier is always something that i'm interested in excellent so asog is on on the 29th of february and the 1st of march at cineworld and we have never been modern us on on the 4th and 5th at the gft jamie what have you got for me well, if you remember last year, there was a retrospective at the GFF on Lee Grant and all showed like loads of her documentaries from the 80s. So this year, they've uncovered her, I think, only um, narrative feature. It was called Tell Me a Riddle. It, it got kind of restored and I think it played at the New York Film Festival. Last Is it Tell Me a Riddle? What did I say? Well, it says Tell Me a Riddle. <laughs> <laughs> That's my speech impediment. <laughs> How dare you? Well, ribble me this. <laughs> Riddle. The ribble. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Do you know, as a kid, this is a little story. I used to have, like, on my desk, the B and the D. Um, and, like, I had to have, like, the capital B and the, so I could remember which one was Aww. which. So clearly I still need that as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> to tell me a riddle, <laughs> not a riddle. <laughs> anyway, Lee Grant, she's great. This is her uh, debut um, as a narrative filmmaker. Uh, it's about an elderly couple. Um, one of them uh, is dying, has terminal cancer, and they kind of go on a road trip together across America. It's meant really beautiful. Um, yeah, I really liked her documentaries. So I really want to see her narrative stuff. Um, and it's always good to think to, to catch some of the retro stuff at uh, GFF and then uh, for a newer thing that I'm really looking out for is uh, The Beast um, which is uh, Bertrand Bonello's new film uh, Bonello real kind of like favourite on the art house kind of circuit but his films actually weirdly don't get big releases here like I think I, I missed uh, Zombie Child when it came out I think it went straight to movie maybe um, and then Nocturama didn't get a big release so hopefully this one gets a bigger release um, it's got a really good cast um, Lisa Du and um, George Mackay and it's like, like a kind of sci-fi I think it's like it's set over kind of like four or five time periods but they're they're playing the same characters or, or characters from the, uh, from different time periods so it's, it's got a kind of like Cloud Atlas vibe I think is the kind of uh, and I don't know if it's cut together or if it's different sections but um, yeah it looks really big for him like a bigger bigger kind of canvas really kind of like um 
you know, really ambitious and, like I say, great cast and always an interesting, quite provocative filmmaker who who make who kind of makes challenging movies and and, and makes them with a lot of style as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Nice. So Tell Me a Riddle is on on the second of March at the CCA, and The Beast is on on the seventh and the eighth at the GFT. Uh, I just wanted to highlight Only the River Flows, which is a kind of Chinese art house neo noir, sixteen mil, really good visuals trailer just full of unconnected uh, images of guys going through uh, reads with a scythe cut to a soldier posing in front of nothing cut to a film screen that appears to be melting um based on a book by Yu Hua who is I uh, hear kind of like avant-garde Chinese novelist should be good fun 4th and 5th of March at Cineworld and finally Jimmy mentioned the after hours stuff before one of the things that GFF have this year is the Glasgow Film Festival quiz so if you want to step to us, come and get beat by the team behind the Cine Skinny podcast, that is on at the Glee Club, which is where they're having a lot of their after-hours stuff like discos and parties and kind of a festival sort of like social place. So uh, yeah, the Glee Club on the 5th of March, I think it's at 7 o'clock. I don't think you need tickets. Um, and the Glee Club's massive, so if they manage to fill it with film nerds to all <laughs> answer multiple choice questions about Lee Grant films, then we're in with a shout, I think. <laughs> I think a big... Uh, a big competitive field will be good for us that's where we'll thrive yeah we won't get yeah we won't get against others we we won't get psyched out by other people if it's like if it's us and two other teams then i think we would worry too much but as you can see i don't think to be fair i think we've won every quiz we've ever entered as as a skinny not to be big-headed but we have that's not true yeah we have but we've definitely lost like the code-based quiz well, we came. We got the we got the brown trophy, <laughs> and it's like we definitely lost the co-base quiz. You know, we came second. <laughs> we, we, no, we got to call that. We, we, we got a trophy, didn't we? There wasn't that one time. I think maybe when you weren't there. I think usually when I'm there, we lose. <laughs> well, there's something to look forward. <laughs> okay, and I think that with the delirium fully setting in and my throat potentially not lasting the, the rest of the hour, it might be time to go. Oh, we're not we doing have, the star ratings. Oh, oh yes, we oh, do have God. to do our star ratings. Oh, no. Okay, um, really quickly. Right, let's do our star ratings really, really quickly. Thankfully, there's only two people to horn in on each of these. We have a Letterboxd. Uh, it's uh, the Cine Skinny on Letterboxd. That's where you can find all our reviews on Letterboxd. Uh, we'll go to the Vordalac first. Anaheat out of five, how many? Four. Four. And Ellie? Also four. Four. That's quick maths. That's four. I did put it into my calculator. <laughs> four plus four divided by two. Oh, that's four. Uh, Jamie, Jericho Ridge, what do you think? What? Like a like a high three, so I'll, I'll, three and a half. Uh, I'll give it four. I'll be generous. I'll give it a four. Go four. Uh, well, I'll give it a three. So then it get it will come out a as a three and a half. Do uh, you just want to check that on the calculator? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and it says five and a half. <laughs> right. uh, solo three of you. This could be a disaster, Jamie. Out of five, this solo. Three. Three. Uh, three and a half. Three and a half. Also three. And also three. Okay, which is uh, 3.16 recurring. So three. So three. Uh, and Ellie, Invisible Fight, Black Metal Kung Fu. Four. Yeah, four. four. Give it a four. Same as the Verdelec. Yeah, for all that money they spent on licensing that Black Sabbath song, they deserve a four star. <laughs> you stick that on your poster and that is it from the Cine Skinny so thank you Ellie thank you thank you Anahit thank you thank you Jamie Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks go and enjoy the Glasgow Film Festival 
And yeah, we will see you. Well, we, we won't see you. That's not how the podcast works. Oh, no, we works. might. At, at the, the quiz. quiz. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. See you at the quiz. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. What a fiasco. <laughs>